Hey, welcome everyone to the Filipino American Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Henrik, and my co-host, Aaron. And today, we are inviting a guest, Pastor J.P. Arseno from New Jersey. So he's the pastor of UCBC, and he's currently doing his PhD at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And his research interests are digital theology and understanding the digital next generation, as he calls it, Nexus Gen in church contexts and for missions. First, we want to get to know more about you. So can you tell us about your story, like how you became a Christian and how God led you to your current church? Okay, uh, of course, thank you for inviting me. It's a great opportunity to share my story and my passion and the zeal when it comes to uh, missions, evangelism, and of course, pastoring uh, local Filipino-American churches. In states, uh, mm-hmm. uh, first thing is that I'm a pastor's kid. My dad has been a pastor for thirty years. I think more than thirty years. Um, so usually, there's this uh, idea that when you are a pastor's kid, uh, you are somehow also uh, like suppressed with a lot of things. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think uh, it was really a good experience for me. I mean, there are some trials, but I had this opportunity that I had a mentor from a young uh, young adult uh, discipleship, and but he's, he's focusing on the young adults. But I was it back then, and because I'm a pastor's kid, I have the privilege to attend uh, the small group for the young adult. Then I attended that one. Then I realized that they were learning about C.S. Lewis, mm. Arnia, Arnia series. And back what then... What age was that, sir? Again? What age were you? Age was, uh, I think I was 10 or 12 around that one. Wow. That was, that was 2004. So when, when I realized uh, that I needed my personal salvation, because I thought like my dad is a pastor, my mom is in the ministry, maybe I can be saved because of uh, their piety. But I realized uh, through, through walking through that series, Narnia series, that I needed my personal salvation to God. Then I started asking deeper questions uh, from my pastor. Uh, we have a senior pastor, Dr. Bong De La Fente. Then I asked questions, then I decided to to be baptized after having my personal relationship with God, and that was in two thousand four. And from from there, uh, it wasn't easy. Uh, there were there were ups and downs. Like uh, when I was in college and high school, I I did a lot of uh, rebellious things. I was thinking, how come? Some of my friends or even other pastors, whenever they share their stories, they have good testimonies. Like, oh, I came from this and now God has transformed me. So I was thinking, how come I don't have that kind of story? So I, I did uh, crazy like things. Uh, I was young, foolish, you know. <laughs> and, and, and then like... 16 years old, 17 years old, after experiencing all those things, I just, I just committed to God and saw that I think I needed to really pursue my personal commitment to my Lord and Savior. So 17 years old, I started uh, preaching uh, in youth uh, sessions, like association convention meetings. Um, I became the president of uh, largest uh, Southern Baptist Association in Metro Manila. Then from there, uh, there was this confirmation to my church and my friends and even my parents that I would study a pastorate. So that's uh, MDU. And yeah, I went to Baguio uh, to study my Master's of Divinity and from there, after finishing my Master's of Divinity, uh, the church nearby in Scout Barrio, uh, they asked me to be their pastor. I pastored the church uh, when I was, I was 21, when I was 21. 
that was 2014. Uh, I think, no, no, that was 20, around 2016 until 2019. Then I came here in Southern, at Southern Seminary, Louisville, Kentucky, to study THM. And after finishing THM, the church here in New Jersey asked if I can be an interim pastor. How, how old were you then, uh, Pastor JP, when you came here? Uh, that was that was 2019, December 2019. I think I was 25. Okay, so you already have four years of pastoral experience then. Yeah, but even, even during the time, like when I was uh, 17 uh, up to 19, I was doing youth pastoring at mm-hmm. my dad's church. But yeah, I don't consider that one. I consider the uh, pastoring when I was in... When, when when I started doing an interim pastoral ministry here in New Jersey, they asked me to stay and be their uh, pastor. And this was the Filipino church? Yeah, this is uh, the Filipino. These, uh, were, these were Henrik usually... Uh, speaks uh, also during our camps. So I invited them already twice. If you're just nearby, Aaron, I would also invite you. <laughs> you're on demand, Henrik. Yeah, Pastor JP invites a lot of uh, young people to his, his family camp. So when were you, uh, you became the senior pastor there at UCBC? That was recent, right? Yeah, actually it will, it will be my first year next month. So I started uh, first week of September, that's the senior pastor. Oh, okay. So how has your adjustment been to America so far? Any uh, moments of culture shock? Uh, there's no major culture shock. Uh, I mean, of course, in Philippines, uh, usually watch uh, like international movies, Hollywood. So there are some like stereotypes, but uh, uh, others are expected, others are unexpected, but, but it, it's just hard to adjust. It took time for me, like maybe a year, year or a year and a half. To, even even still now, I'm still adjusting. I'm not yet uh, too familiar with the culture, but I mean, it, it's doable. Hmm. It's really interesting how you ended up here in in the U.S. Was that something that was in your mind or was that something that you felt was like you were called to, uh, you were just called to come here to prepare for, uh, through seminary and then just followed God and the rest is history? Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, when I asked my church in Baguio City, uh, I told them I need to do more equipping. I need to be equipped, especially when it comes to counseling. Because I was I was single, right. I'm still single, <laughs> but I was single during the time, and uh, I was young. And the church is so mixed uh, when it comes to generation. Most of them are adults uh, towards seniors, and they have this like family issues, marital issues, and those things I can't uh, really journey with them because, you know, uh, somehow limited when it comes to counseling. So I took counseling courses when I was in Philippines. Then I realized that, hey, I needed more. Mm. Uh, when I came in Kentucky, uh, I shifted from the idea of counseling to where my heart is, and that is history. So I, I took the major in Baptist history and I was in Kentucky. And there, there I realized that hey, I needed more learnings, more studies. So I just told my church in Baguio that I needed to leave and I needed to go to the seminary for two years. Then I might come back, but I don't want to give like also uh, because my goal, my pers- my my personal goal is to finish a PhD, and before coming back to Philippines. Mm. But then, yeah, but, but then God has plans. Uh, COVID happened. Right. A lot of uh, personal 
uh, issues in life, then then a church, the church here in New Jersey called, and that's why I told them, and they were they were actually inviting me to be to apply for lead pastorship, uh, but. I told them I cannot do that because my goal is to really study, to do PhD. So I can do interim for six to 10 months. Then if your, uh, if your offer is still the same and 100%, like, I mean, even 99%, if that would ask me the same question after six to 10 months, I might consider and pray for it. So I, I prayed the day after six months. So it was June. They considered me again. Then I told them another, uh, let's just complete another three months. Uh, then let me pray. I'll tell my family in the Philippines. I'll tell my uh, girlfriend. I have a long time girlfriend. We'll, we've been together for uh, nine years. <laughs> wow. We've been together for nine years. So I need to ask her because uh, my... I just I just asked her that can you can you give me before I left Philippines I asked her can you give me another two years to finish THM then I'll come back then I'll, we'll get married I mean that, that's a plan but then I asked her if I can stay and maybe God has another plan for us maybe you can uh, come here or I might go there come back then we both come back here in the states so. I'm just allowing God to really pave the the path that He had made for me, and I have the principle where where God has led you. You need to be faithful in that ask, how small or big is it? But you just you just need to be faithful where God is leading you. So I have that kind of principle in my life. Mm. Yeah, can you share a little bit about the um? how it's like to pastor the churches in the Philippines or your church in the Philippines. How is it compared to the, your current church? Yeah. Cause your church is in America. So I'm wondering if there's any cultural differences or different challenges. Uh, first, I think uh, there are, there are differences, but since my church here in the States are mostly first generation uh, members, first generation Filipino members, uh, they, they still bring, they, they still brought their Filipino culture. Yeah. Very fresh, even though they've been here for 20 years, 15 years, mm. still very fresh from the Philippines, uh, very the same in essence. Uh, they have adjusted in the States, but uh, their engraved nature is still very Filipino. Mm-hmm. Uh, pastoring a Filipino church in Philippines, uh, it, it's challenging as well. First, of course, uh, resources in the Philippines are very limited. Uh, it's not easy to decide on things when it comes to budget and a lot of matters. Uh, everyone is exposed in the idea of Christianity, right? We're very Catholic in the Philippines. So if you're going to ask them, do you know Jesus Christ? They know Jesus Christ. You want to follow Jesus Christ? I want to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, they, they all know who Jesus is, but you need to, to be more specific when it comes to being a disciple of Christ and to really commit yourself fully, depending to God. Uh, while here in the States, it is also the same. They know Jesus Christ. They know who Jesus is. They they recognize that God has uh, put them here in the states, but there's this uh, overwhelming uh, presence of resources. Oh yeah. Since there's uh, a lack of resources, when I can, when I say resources, it's like finances, uh, everything. It includes everything like education, finances. And, and all the necessary access to the study. So while here, uh, very overwhelming. You can you can get free food. You can free get free education. Uh, right. So those kind of things, free medical insurance. Uh, it's it's up to you. Uh, it's it's just you. If you're still lazy, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there's no reason for you to to don't eat three meals a day in the states. Everything here is uh, doable. 
So because of that overwhelming resources, they're also being complacent in a sense. That's how I mm. things uh, because they recognize that finally I came here. I don't have, I have nothing before in the Philippines. Now I have here some things. It, it's not the same as like Apostle Paul when he both experienced having nothing and having something. Uh, his, his commitment to and zeal to God is the same while here uh, it's it's quite different mm. so you think they're more complacent in their spiritual lives uh it's I'm not generalizing and I'm not uh I'm not nailing it the <laughs> <laughs> it is uh but what I can sense is uh when it comes to ministry like uh, churches in the Philippines, even though you don't have full staff, uh, they they would they would volunteer full heartedly. Mm, fire, kind of. Yeah, you don't need to you know need to pay them. You just need to feed them. You know, just provide lunch, and they they'll commit twenty four seven. Right. Yeah, but but here I think there's this idea that even even churches you need to have like uh, personal staff if that's your staff that's no longer my uh that's the, that's beyond my jurisdiction as as a worker so if i needed to do something and it needed to be paid uh hourly or maybe additional volunteer you need to you need to up the uh, things here are like always about appointment right so you need to do appointment before Ahead of time. Oh, okay. So it's more uh, structured, I guess. Yeah. Unlike, unlike in the Philippines, you just like, you can be spontaneous, like, okay, it's available. Okay, I'll grab you. Okay. Start at studies, at studies stuff. But here you need you need to be like one month. Ahead of time. Uh, or two weeks at least. Right. Yeah. We find that I actually here in Houston, uh, where we're doing church planting, we find the same uh, struggle, especially because a lot of our congregation are nurses, over 90%. And so you can't just say, oh, uh, this Saturday we're doing this, because they all have to talk to their managers. They all have to schedule a day off <laughs> and they all have, yeah, they all have to uh, make sure that they're available. So I can see yeah. that. Thing. Are there a lot of nurses in uh, New Jersey? Oh yeah, uh, I think this this the healthcare capital, right? New Jersey. We're very near in New York. I'm uh, from New York, so New York is like oh, okay. ten minutes away from us. Uh, hospitals are here, so those who don't want to pay a lot in New York, they would go to New Jersey. So there's a lot of uh, nurses uh, in our church. Yeah, more than eighty percent are also oh. nurses, oh, nurses or healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. How about the um, the American kids? <laughs> when you deal with them, do you see a, like a difference in culture with them compared to? Yeah, the yeah. Uh, I mean, those who are who were born and raised here, and even those who migrated in a very young age, like. Or ten years old, they are already they're te they're technically uh, Americans, uh, very Western. Uh, there's a lot of big difference. Oh uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of uh, limitations. You don't just uh, barge in and just uh, pull them out or talk to them freely. You need to really understand where they are coming from. Uh, the sense of uh, having a lot of things like the privileges, uh, the and and the adults would call it entitlement, but I don't call it entitlement. I I would just call it like uh, their environment. They grew up having those things, and we cannot we can blame them as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's a lot of differences again. Philippines, it's you just go to like a certain place, 
buy some quick quick fish bowl they'll, they'll be happy with that one those those kind of snacks like oh yeah isao uh well here it's quite different so you need to to have like you need to be sure what they needed and they want you can you can you need to ask permission from them as well and the consent in a lot of things like can can do this uh, are you available on these dates yeah almost the same they they're like adults you need to ask for appointment mm-hmm. <laughs> even, even they're high schoolers uh, high schoolers uh middle schoolers it's easy for them to ask uh you can always request about their time when it comes to high schoolers college yeah i think that's a hard one right yeah as like a as the first generation um pastor do you find it hard to connect with more second generation filipino americans uh As of the moment, it's no longer. I, I'm not in the phase of uh, difficult having difficulties connecting to them. But it took me for the younger, the younger ones. When I say younger ones, they're like 16 to 21, 16 to 21. It took me six months before I can learn their language. Mm. Language is not just the English language, but their, their cultural language. Right, mm-hmm. like slang. Yeah, slang. Not not slang. I mean, not slang. I mean, I mean their their ways, their ways of life. Right. Oh, okay. While for the young younger adults, like twenty uh, two, the college to working, uh, second generation, twenty two to twenty nine, uh, took me a year, and still some of them are aloof and very uh, indifferent with me, but. But the idea when when connecting to the next generation, especially me as a first generation Filipino pastor, is uh, that the incarnational way of Christ to to really step down in their level, understand them, and do their ways. And sometimes uh, adults would see it like very crazy in a sense, uh, like pastor, you're a pastor. Why are you doing that? need to be vulnerable with those kind of things right right so i studied their language i i i watched movies with them uh like I, i completed series anime series i played with them they're very digital uh that's mm. that that's so you're a gamer too <laughs> i play games i play games with them they, they played valorant lol uh we we started this uh, lost art like an mmo rpg Uh, so I play with them at like every every night, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m., 11 p.m. sometimes, and I tell them, okay, it's time, let's let's just sleep. But we even do uh, not 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 necessarily Bible study, but we do discipleship. Even when we are playing in in MMORPGs, we meet a certain dungeon. Okay, we're going to do like a like a mission. We need to defeat the boss here. In the dungeon, so well, what can we learn here? Leadership, those kind of things. So I put, I took that opportunity to really build up my relationship with them. After two months, ten months, I, it became, it was fruitful. Now I, it, it's not hard for me to connect to them. Uh, but the younger, uh, the young adults, uh, it's it's different. Right. They're more into sports and like activities, events and activities. Right. I think you kind of uh, mentioned this a little bit, right? Like some of the first generation would look at you crazy. Are there other uh, pastoral difficulties with first generation, especially knowing that, you know, you, you became a, their lead pastor at such a young age? And, you know, in, in, in Filipino culture, uh, usually they would look up more to, and I think you mentioned this too in the Philippines, right? Like they would look up more to people who are older, who are married. Yeah. So, like, what difficulties do you have with it's uh, older generation, the first generation? Yeah, when 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 I accepted the pastoral ministry here in the New Jersey, I uh, already had that expectation. Mm. They looked down upon. Some people would be 
uh, might be saying condescending things, but in a loving way. You know, you know how Filipino Christians can can uh, what you call can criticize you in a very sweet way. <laughs> uh, I expected those. Yeah, something like that. Uh, you're still young. You still need a lot of things to do. Uh, they, they they thought that they're saying good things. They're saying like, okay, you're still young. You you're still going to experience a lot more things. But I believe when it comes to pastoral, it's not about the age, about the uh, experience and knowledge and uh, personal relationship with God. And, and that's why they called you as a pastor, because they, they see these things uh, in you and you're exemplifying the commitment and then you becoming the model, mm. the more like Christ for them. Well, when when I had that idea, I already expected those things. But also at the same time, when it comes to Filipinos, uh, I think even even Asia in general, uh, they there's a distinct respect when you have educational attainment. Right, right. So I I that's that's how I battle. If I may use the term battle, though, though it's not a war against it. <laughs> <laughs> so I use the, the educational attainment as, as a way for them to somehow see and give respect. Though respect is earned, it's, it's very relational. But when you tell them that now you studied nursing and you are good in nurse, you have experience in nursing, that's your job. Me, I studied pastoral ministry when I was this age, even still now I'm doing pastoral ministry. I studied there, 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 there. And when, when you say that, so I'm not saying I'm an expert of the Bible, but I'm saying I've studied this. I know my stuff. So uh, let's, let's do this. Uh, you should, you should somehow learn to submit this, this kind of things. Mm when it comes to spiritual matters. But when it comes to architecture, church building, I don't know a lot of things about that. <laughs> that's why that's why when when I came in September, I mean, when they, they called me to be the pastor, before they called me, I told them that we should learn these things, uh, the elders, the plurality of elders. Because uh, many uh, film churches, they, they only have the, it's either their full staff, like, uh, senior pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor, uh, church secretary, and Christian education. So, like like full staff. Uh, many Filipino-American churches, they only have one, like just the pastor. Deacons, mm-hmm. they have elders, but they, they don't function the same as the plurality of elders. I did a series of that. I told them the importance of plurality of elders. And we have four elders right now. So the, the first elder focuses on finances because he's good with that. He's an accountant. The second is administrative because he's really good in managing. And the other one is uh, more on the practical side, like visitation, and, and he knows who you, the church is. When it comes to teaching, Bible study, preaching, it's, it's me. So with, with those kind of adjustments, I was able to move forward. From being seen as, uh, oh, you're so young and you don't know a lot of things. Yes, I don't know a lot of things. Right. If you like a problem, if you have a certain issue, if uh, if it is like a, a marriage issue or like a family issue, so the elders will be there, not just me. Mm. Mm. There will be like voice of, voice of reason coming from the other elders who had been married for 20 years, 30 years. Right. You know their staff and you don't, you don't, Put elders if they're not qualified so they they also have this uh, pastoral art when it comes to church so that in that way i was able to manage uh the big gap in in looking looking me as a very young pastor wow that that i think that's uh that's uh that was a wise thing that you did in trying to at least um have your elders there for things that you're not, you know, you're not very good at, like the marriage counseling stuff. Uh, 
But how did you get to that point where you were able to, I mean, how do you, what's your process in discipling or getting to the four elders? To the four elders. Yeah. Yeah, So again, uh, before I did that, it took me a year, a year of sermon series, preparation, Bible studies. We did small groups, Bible studies. We asked hard questions. And we, we, during that time, the church, before I arrived, the church doesn't have a pastor for than three years or three to four years. So they are at the same time very determined. Uh, just, just like, I think, just like with, with all the episodes that you talked about before, uh, young adults, there's this exodus as well of the younger generation, especially the second generation, because they, they don't feel that they don't have a place in you. Uh, there was, every time there's a, an adult conflict uh, between families, they are also part of this collateral damage. Mm-hmm. They don't have a choice or they don't have a decision or a voice about it. So adults would decide on something. So they're very determined during the time so I told them, uh, let's let's do this. This is biblical. Let's study this. We, we studied the book of Titus. We did a sermon series. Uh, not a sermon series, small group series. With, uh, with the, we were using right now media. So facilitators, we asked hard questions. We, we, we made sure that everyone is in sync. Uh, not in a uniform way, but more in a united way way even very diverse in some uh, minor issues then we decided that okay let's uh, amend and ratify this updated version of our constitution but starting january this year we we implemented the plurality of elders Mm, i see i see so i think you mentioned a little bit also as well uh with the conflict of first generation and second generation uh, I mean, do you have a lot of second generation in your church and do they have some leadership uh, uh, positions as well? Or, or at least a voice? Uh, uh, <clears throat> so one one of our transition is uh, being, of course, being a young pastor is I had this heart for the young, younger ones. So mm-hmm. make sure that there's a platform for them. There's a a space where they can really express themselves. Uh, first, I think the idea of communication is very important for them. Uh, before, they don't have any access when it comes to communication, it's just text or mm. messenger. But young adults, they don't have Facebooks. <laughs> they don't have, uh, those, those who are born in raised here, they don't have Facebooks. They don't have... Uh, they don't text, right? So they, they might call you, but I mean, there's a lot of anxiety when it comes to calling, right? <laughs> so they're, they're very digital. They're always on social media, Snapchat, Instagram is a, a thing for them. Uh, Discord, right? They're always on Discord, even though they're doing nothing, they're on Discord. So I need to go there and be there, be present to that places. So uh, I'm a very digital person. I mean, my background is IT. So I did an associate degree in IT. I do website development, uh, social media, and all those things. So I was able to do that while pastoring at the same time. So I built our own website. We don't have a website before. So I build my, our website, uh, social media, and all the uh, other digital platforms. So I made sure that the decisions and the, the, the discussions being done in our churches uh, are also uh, being, being sent to this younger generation. And as of the moment, they have their voice. And I, I, I believe in the empowerment of them so I, I let them decide uh, on the we started when uh, the idea of okay what's 
during during the night i mean during the eat sessions usually it's always like the stereotype of okay bring pizza and pe- and then you and young adults will be there right <laughs> yeah. uh, we stopped doing that uh i told them okay uh, i assigned a certain uh a certain person two two people actually uh, especially in our youth so uh i think to put it in context we have the young younger generation and the young adults okay the youth and the young adults right the youth is also composed of younger young adults so they are college they are working but at the same time they don't they don't want to get out get away from this group but they're also connected with the young adults but the young adults most of them they are not close with the very very young mm. youth so uh we're very strong as of the moment with this youth ministry we call it nexus so we're very strong with the youth uh, ministry we ask especially those who are very active and thus have a leadership uh, skill we ask them like okay you decide what food you need or what food you want to eat this certain week what what activities do you want so we let them decide on those things i supervise and oversee how things should be done as well, how they can lead in a certain decision. Then we we, we, we start doing uh, Bible study, mm. but more, not, not in a very lecture way, more in a contextualized uh, version of them. So I'm a teacher, by the way, so my bachelor is secondary education. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have a lot of uh, pedagogical uh, creativities in mind. So how to to make it like uh, how to make them comprehend Bible study stuff uh, applied in, in their context. So those kind of things. So it's very hard. Uh, if you're going to see it, when I started as an intern pastor. I go to younger generation, to the youth, the young adults. Then suddenly I jump to the adults small group. And then that the level, the frequency of your mind is quite different with those things. Yeah. Then, then we do theol- theology class. So for for one week or two weeks, it's really it wasn't I was really hard for me to jump on this uh, certain level of frequencies when it comes to mind. So sometimes I still bring uh, the way I think when I was in, uh, when the way I think when I'm with the younger ones and bring it to during the theology class, uh, it became weird. Right? Sometimes I'm still wearing a very like youth, uh, youth friendly outfit and bring it to the adults or theology class and they would like me Pastor, you're, you look so young. <laughs> you're expected right? if you're with the adults or maybe if people are going to uh, introduce you to other people like this or a pastor and I look like not a pastor. <laughs> and that, that's that's uh, also an awkward situation. <laughs> yeah, I remember last last year we met the Filipino church from the other the other Filipino church and then their pastor is an old guy but then you're wearing like um, a backpack and shorts and yeah. <laughs> sneakers you don't have the youth <laughs> <laughs> and they're like this is our pastor and then those who are with me they, they look more pastor right <laughs> Kuya JR and Kuya Mani Francia so they, they they are like old they're seniors and they, they they, their feed is like pastors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I think maybe that's probably one of the struggles of trying to uh, pastor two different kinds of cultures, you know, the younger generation, which is really West, and then the first generation, which is more Filipino. Um, but what, you know, one of the things that you did mention earlier that really piqued my curiosity is digital. What is that? Digital theology. Uh, what do you mean by that, and uh, how can we uh, use that in a Filipino American church mm-hmm. context? Yeah. So 
Digital theology is a research interest for me. Even when I'm still doing my MDiv thesis, it actually started there during my MDiv thesis. But the idea is uh, the intersection of theology and technology on how it somehow shapes our uh, our faith and or, or maybe our perception of who God is when it comes to authority on the communication and personal relationship with God. Mm. So like, like when, when COVID happened, so digital theology is not just a reaction of, of out of COVID, but it is, uh, it has been there since like 10, 20 years ago. So when we say digital theology, uh, especially during the COVID times, everyone shifted to online worship. Everyone shifted to doing uh, like this, uh, uh, small group Bible study sessions on Zoom, uh, before Skype, uh, before it was uh, others, other platforms. So there's this, there's this idea of authenticity. Is it authentic? Uh, are there, uh, the Bible says uh, you should gather, you should not, uh, you shouldn't miss it out. You need to be regularly gathering. Uh, is online gathering an authentic gathering? And right. for more than a year and two, uh, many churches have been meeting online, on Zoom, Facebook Live, YouTube broadcasted. So are, are, those, uh, are those meetings, uh, liturgies and worship, are they, are they authentic? Are they valid? Even doing communion online, those who are uh, like away from you, is his presence very important when some is it is it face to face really the medium when it comes to worship? Is is uh, worship uh, cannot be done in cyberspaces? Can the Holy Spirit work in and through digital platforms? So those kind of things. Uh, that's how that's what we ask. And when applied in missions, how can we be effective in? Uh, proclaiming Jesus on our social media or creating softwares and website uh, mm. uh, in, 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 in a way where we can do missions. So that's digital theology and applied that one in a church context in Filipino American. Uh, remember I told you a while ago that when it comes to reaching out to the younger generation, they're very digital. Right. Their language is digital. So uh, adults would not uh, understand why they always have earphones and 24 uh, 7 connected on Discord, or maybe not 24 7, but most of the time they're on Discord talking with their friends because that is already the sense for them of being in community, right. interaction. That even if they are not present physically, they are together even virtually. And for them, that is authentic. But for us, as, as digital immigrants, it's hard for us to fathom those kind of uh, scenarios. And even, even others would say, uh, do you, is, is your experience there really uh, effective? Do, are you really uh, growing in that, uh, through that maturity? And I believe, yes. Mm -hmm. It, it, is, it, was, it was my way for, for me to connect to them, the digital platforms. and yeah, the, the gaming too, right? Gaming, and we even do virtual uh, reality sessions. We went and we had a field trip uh, doing um, in out on, in, on Outspace VR. I don't know if you're... Right. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so those kind of things. Uh, and I believe that that will be the future. Right. Uh, the W3, uh, the, the website, the WW3, the digital uh, internet is, is going there, more digital, virtual, NFTs, cryptocurrencies, uh, metaverse. So those are the things that we are, that I am focusing on and not trying to be reactionary but more of being ahead, being ahead. Mm -hmm. right yeah i think that's very interesting um actually i'm very digital as well i i 
work online. That's what I do. I make content. But one of the things that I've we've done here at our church uh, during COVID was uh, we also, you know, we set up an online presence. And have you guys heard of Four Fields? Four Fields? No. no. So it's basically like a, a strategy for uh, planting churches that is very, very simple. It's very connected to like discussion-based Bible studies. Uh, anyways, so that's something that we set up. Uh, we connected this uh, missiology kind of um, strategy, mission strategy with technology where you can have Bible studies even without a pastor, right? Using discussion-based models. Anyways, long story short, uh, we began to grow like outside of Houston and we started having lots of communities outside, especially Thailand and the Philippines. And this year, at the end of this year, we're going to plant a Thai church uh, out of that, right? Because uh, eventually the groups that started, they started like an English ministry. Mm-hmm. And then now, like, they're going to start a, they're going to start a church in Thailand out of this digital ministry. So, uh, and I, what I find interesting is these are actually first generation, but in, in parts of Asia, and I think it's because during COVID, you know, they're all scattered and there's no community. They can't, they can't find, they can't go to church physically. And, you know, they live in a place where uh, it's mostly non-Filipinos. So they're in the outskirts. They're a scattered, basically Filipino workers. And so, like you said, Pastor JP, it's like, that's the way for them to find community. And that's the, the questions that you've actually asked are the same questions that we asked, like some members, some people, especially ones who have been in church a lot longer, right? In the West is they, they question whether, uh, is this a valid form of church? Don't we have to be together? You know, so very, very interesting, uh, topic, Pastor JP. I'd love to hear more about this. Uh, you know, if you have materials on it, I think. I think uh, it's it's uh, it, it definitely something that's uh, very important moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask a question. Can can I ask a question? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Contagious. <laughs> uh, I have the idea. I've been listening to to your podcast, and of course, one side of the story is uh, churches are trying to reach out and build. Uh, spaces for young adults, younger generation. Right? Then we, we are we are in a sense uh, trying to chase them. Right? So I'm not generalizing all the Philippine American churches. I'm not I'm not even uh, isolating our case. I'm just trying to uh, make a more comprehensive uh, approach. Uh, is it is it always necessary that the church uh, especially the first generation and, and even even the older ones who would, would reach out to the next generation. That is significant. That is important. That is biblical. I understand that one. But I, but I am also trying to, to come up if, if how we can develop the, the zeal for them to not wait for something but take an initiative. I heard Aaron and Henry, you, you both said that you took the initiative of uh, starting the, the leadership in YA and for Henrik, for the younger ones. So how, how did it uh, came up with that initiative? How, how did you all both came up with that initiative? Was there like a certain inspiration or encouragement? Or just the, the thought of people are living and I needed to do something. Yeah, I think for me, it's just, I was growing a lot in college. So I think the spiritual growth in college really encouraged me. So when I went back to my church, I was uh, I was thinking, oh, I wish they knew what I knew too, or I wish they were learning what I was learning. So that's what inspired me to teach. And then when I was teaching, I developed the heart for the youth. And that's how I started continue or that's how I continued in the youth ministry and also young adult ministry. Yeah. I think, uh, for me, it, it was more of, uh, like you said, like I saw all my friends leaving and going and, uh, 
at, at that point, it was more of like, ah, something needs to be done. And that was uh, in me. But I think part of what also uh, pushed me was uh, this. Uh, I had a mentor that I met. He was actually like a pulpit supply. I don't know if, if you've heard it in one of our no. podcasts, but he was a pulpit supply. And after he preached a sermon, I went up to him. I didn't even ask his name. I just, I, uh, at some, for some reason, at that time, I was just so hungry to know more, right? Because, uh, you know, we didn't really have that much resources at our church or there wasn't really an outreach or people reaching out to younger adults. I was just so hungry to, uh, to know more about God. I, I went up to him and I said, hey, do you have a Bible study? I didn't even ask his name. That's the first thing I asked. And he looked at me like, who is this guy? <laughs> and he, was, he was probably, he was already retired, you know, like really, really old guy. And like, yeah, he gave me his address and I started going to his house every week, sometimes twice, a couple times a week. And uh, just sitting down with him and talking with him. And I think that really got me on fire to share with others as well. I think I think that's something that is really important. Uh, I know that a lot of the adults, especially even the retired ones, have a lot to share. Like you know, older Christians have a lot to share to young people. And I think uh, if that uh, mentor-mentee uh, relationship develops, I think that that can uh, definitely help. You know, like he that um, he wasn't telling me what to do. He was just sharing Jesus a lot. And I'm the one always asking, like, should I do this? Uh, I'm calling him, like, we're going to do Bible study. What do you think of this? Should I ask this? Because, you know, I was really young and I, that was my first time leading a Bible study. But I knew that I wanted to share the same thing that okay. I was sharing. So it was more of like that was that relationship was infectious, like his passion, the passion for Jesus was infectious that I also uh, wanted to share with others. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I think it's also the, I think it's just the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Is, yeah. So we need to pray a lot for the youth and the next generation. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, yeah, I think it's almost uh, time for us to end. Thanks, Pastor JP, for your time. Thanks for sharing your story. And hopefully we can reconnect and hear more about what's going on in your current context. Yeah, thank you, Pastor JP. Thank you also for yeah inviting me. I've been listening to your podcast and your ministry is also very impactful. Uh, we, we hope and pray that it will be uh, be more. I mean, it's accessible and available, but we just hope and pray that others would also take time to listen. It's important to hear it from uh, the younger ones not I, I don't see that there's this threat or dichotomy there but I'm just saying that well, hearing the voices uh, of the younger ones like you Aaron and Henry uh, it's very important uh, it's it we cannot always assume and be pragmatic in a lot of ways and, and theorize always like throwing something and not hitting the goal so thank you for this ministry and uh, thank you for opening up also for other churches and other Filipino American pastors thanks again and pastor thank you. Bye. see you